Welcome back to Power Strength Vulnerability. Uh, I just want to firstly say thanks to Steve White for jumping on the last podcast. If you haven't checked it out, um, give it a listen and go back. Um, also, any reviews, um, if you could subscribe, that would be fantastic as well. It just helps other people hear and know about the podcast and get some you know, great stories and great inspiration. Today's podcast is a little bit different. Um, again, I'll just be by myself and just explaining um, a story of mine, which I think I'm really, well, I know I'm really passionate about, and it does give me a little bit of anxiety putting this all out there, but I really want to put it out there and try and help some people who may experience different elements of this story. Firstly, I do want to say that it is recommended that you listen to this and make sure that you've got a great support network around you so if you do need to talk about it or you want to make some changes yourself that you do have the right people around you and just remember that my story can be different to yours and try not to fall into that trap of um, thinking that you're going going to necessarily be the same because you may not So I want to talk about my story with antidepressants. And I first, I want to say on that is my beliefs around antidepressants are they are there for people who are on the brink of suicide. So only then and there for that reason, and that's what I'm talking about, depression and anxiety. With the other mental illnesses, I don't know enough about them to comment. So I'm only commenting on my story. And that's my belief and other people are, are all okay to have their own belief on that. This is something I wanted to talk about a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to record this while I was going in the midst of weaning off my antidepressants. But I realised that it probably could be too emotional for me at the time and that this would be the appropriate time moving forward once I'd got through a lot of the withdrawal symptoms. But I want to take you back to when I first started taking antidepressants. In 2009, my depression got extremely bad, I guess you could say. It was really poor. I was getting extremely suicidal and I was very reactive to the things that were happening around me and I just didn't have the coping and I won't say I won't use the word coping I didn't have the managing skills to get through what I was getting through so I reached out and saw a doctor and a counselor and it wasn't the first time I've seen a counselor or a psychologist it was the third or the fourth and I was prescribed medication and I was given an A4 piece of paper with the withdrawal symptoms. Uh, sorry, not the withdrawal sim- the symptoms of going on antidepressants. And basically said, good luck. There was nothing more to it, just good luck. Check in with your psychologist every couple of weeks. Things turned really sour early in January of 2010. And I do want to explain to you that this can be quite graphic for people. So I will be talking about 
self-harm and parts of suicide. I was working at the Australian Open. A friend had got me the job. And I had the sweats really, really badly, which was one of the symptoms that I had. But I also had a new case of claustrophobia, which I'd never, ever had in my life before. So with my depression through my high school, I actually hid in cupboards, and that never phased me. It was this one day at work. I'd been working since 5 o'clock, and it was about 7.30. And I couldn't seem to get out of the toilet cubicle I was in. My body had basically shut down to not allow me to get out of the cubicle. And I started getting frustrated at the fact that I couldn't open a door and go back to work. And I started banging my head against the wall. It was then I realised that something really wasn't right. And I messaged one of the guys I was working with and said, I need to just go home. I'm not well. And I called my mum from the cubicle and said, Mum, you need to leave work. You need to come and get me. And having a conversation with mum and another friend at the time from the cubicle, I was able to get myself through the door and back out. And people probably go, well, it's just a door, just open it. But anxiety and mental health has this way of crippling your mind and your body to tell you that you can't do things in certain moments. And it's not there to disable you. It's actually there to protect you. But by trying to protect you, it disables you. It was then I went back off to the doctor and they changed my medication. Yet again, here's an A4 slip of paper with the symptoms that might come along with it. The change again was new symptoms. So the first time I went on medication, there was the claustrophobia, there was the sweats. And there was a newfound anxiety that I hadn't experienced before. The suicidal thoughts were still there and I was still struggling. The second lot of medication, insomnia. I was staying up two, three, four days at a time and then I'd sleep for a full day and then go again. The suicidal tendencies crept in and in and in. Through this time, I was just seeing my psychologist once every two weeks. That was it. Just the check-in, but no speaking about the medication. It was all about the surface-level symptoms and how I could address them. And I do want to make note that some of those surface-level symptoms and the way I addressed them, or what I got taught, is some of the skills I use today. And one of them is counting down from 99 to 0 when I'm in bed to try and get myself to sleep. And at the current time, I'm using that every night because I'm going through some real chronic physical illnesses and the pain I have um, at night makes my mind wander and I need to do that to bring myself back to and ground myself back into the bed. So that's something I still use today. But it was only a couple of weeks later that one Friday night, 
I started banging my head against the wall again. And I lied to my friends. I said I'd fallen down the stairs and hit my head. But I was banging my head. And it's funny because I've been thinking lately about how people still have this perception that they can't see mental health. They can't see mental illness. But you can see it every day. You only just need to open up your minds and open up your eyes to see that there is so much suffering out there. I was clearly suffering. No one batted an eyelid. Yep, he fell down the stairs. No one said he's sure. No one checked on me. No one said, are you okay? We just kind of laughed. Oh, you idiot. It was the next morning that I tried to take my own life. And I ended up in hospital. And I remember seeing the psychiatrist and the psychologist. And it was, they weren't surprised that after I'd been put on medication that I'd found myself in that position. And that, to me, is worrying, that it's not a surprise. Because I'd never tried to take my own life before that moment. I'd self-harmed in other ways by punching things, but that was more an anger thing. That was more a frustration at myself to let, to let things out. Yes, that's not the appropriate way to let things out, and I still occasionally do that today, but never to hurt anyone. It's only to take it out of myself. And I know it's not the helpful thing to do or the appropriate thing to do, but I'm still learning. It was through the next few years that my medication was just upped once, but it was sort of a three or four year roller coaster where I had to get to know get to learn the new me. And it's probably been only in the last few weeks since going off medication that I've understood what it's hap- what happened to me. And I want to touch briefly on this, but then I'll touch more on it soon in a moment, but not now. Because it relates back to what I've experienced since weaning off medication. Through that time, I had to get used to to sweating more. It was a common theme. I sweated more. You know, it didn't take much and I'd have a sweat up, which was quite frustrating because it comes with its own difficulties like chafing or rubbing or whatever. And so I started to to get used to that. I put on weight, but it wasn't because of the medication in my circumstances. And I know some medications will have that effect, but it was because I used food as an outlet. Emotional eating, self-sabotage. I went to food when I was bored. When I didn't know how to deal with my feelings, I went to food. And I did that as a teenager. After school, I'd come home highly depressed and I'd eat sugar out of the tin. Or I'd have a Milo with 10 Milos and 10 sugars. I feeded myself to get rid of the emotion. And I'm a big believer in feel to let heal now. Rather than using these coping mechanisms like sugar or alcohol or drugs. 
to help you. But unfortunately, going through those teenage years, that's all I knew. I didn't know how to communicate. And I knew if I communicated, that people wouldn't understand. To a degree. And that's okay. It was then, after a few years, I threw myself into exercise and nutritional change. And it was three or four years where I, I didn't acknowledge that mental health existed. I just said I was fine. Threw myself into physical training more and more, focused on my body image, and eventually I crashed. But there's more to that, and that's a story for another day. I made a decision, before I made the decision, I ended up, through my physical health journey and the physical complications that arose from that, my mental health deteriorated in 2019, where I found myself in a mental health clinic. In the mental health clinic, after a five-minute appointment, the psychiatrist said, we need to change your meds. And it was something I'd read that sometimes if you're on the same medication for a long time, your body can just adjust normally. But I look back now and I go, what was happening was that the medication wasn't numbing anything anymore and I didn't know how to experience the feelings or emotions that were coming up with inside of me. Still at 30 years of age, 31 years of age, I still didn't have the coping... I hate the word coping, the managing skills, the communication skills, and the ability to look after my own mental wealth, mental well-being and emotions to actually deal with what was happening. They changed the medication over a 28-day period. I went from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 milligrams, which I know is nothing compared to what some people are on. The medic antidepressants I was on, that was a pretty high dosage for that type. And it helped, and it made a big difference. But what I didn't know is that it was just numbing me again. Over the course of 2020, I started putting a lot of emphasis on working on my mental health, learning about my mind, healing traumas I didn't even know were there and allowing my body to just be free, my mind to be free, my mind to be open and my body to be open. Also accepting that anxiety isn't a bad thing. Anxiety is a protective mechanism for something. I worked on some traumas from my childhood, some which I won't talk about, but some were as simple as just feeling trapped or needing a parent when I was crying and that made me feel neglected. I wasn't neglected, but it made me as a child feel neglected. My parents did nothing wrong. They weren't bad parents. They did their best and they did what they thought was right at the time and it probably was. But each child is different and has different coping mechanisms and skills that they learn and acquire over time. Some people learn the skills very quickly and go on to lead blossoming life with no mental health complications. 
And there's been studies about twins, identical twins being treated exactly the same. But the way they pick up and they are reactive or responsive to things is completely different. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. But we also do know that every parent tries their best from start to go and it's never the parent's fault. As the child gets older, it becomes everyone's responsibility moving forward. Now, are there things that parents can do better? Yes, but we've also got to just always understand that they're doing their best. And I think looking back, the only thing you can do is support your child and do your best. And that's what I'll aim to do moving forward. It was in July last year where my mental health was probably nearly at the best it had ever been. Yes, I'd made a couple of mistakes where I'd reacted pretty poorly. And that wasn't ideal, but it was my ability to work through those mistakes without sitting in my own suffering for weeks or months at a time. I was able to learn from it very, very quickly. I was able to understand that what I did wasn't helpful, what I did had an impact on other people, and I learned from it. And I said to my therapist, and I said to a couple of people around me, I think I'm gonna try and wean off my medication. I did a lot of research and a lot of study just to make sure that it was the right thing to do. Now, I want to say before this, I really recommend if you are on medication, you are in the best possible position you've ever been in before you get off it. Getting off it is going to change your life dramatically, and I'll explain that soon. But you need to make sure that you're in the best possible position you've ever been. I half my dosage and like five days in I was feeling great and it was really funny Alicia my partner came up and said she had some concerns about my me weaning off the medication she had some insecurities about it and I snapped and I reacted and we had a bit of a fight or a disagreement and I was fight and I'm laughing and smiling now because of the irrationality of what was happening. I thought I was fine, but I reacted to a couple of simple questions, which showed me that the medication had changed something. I was being reactive. So I addressed it. We spoke about it. We both did some research together. I sent through some of the stuff that I'd been researching and she did some research as well. We worked through it together. Then I spoke to my therapist and my mentor and said, okay, I'll, we were experimenting with the medication change. <clears throat> Pardon me. And and after the that had happened, we addressed that. And I went, you know what, all right, I'm just going to stick at this t at half dosage for a couple more months and just see what happens. Understanding that it had changed me already. So I needed to be aware of that. And I needed to be in a position where I could handle that. And there was other moments through that period of time where I lost my cool. And I looked back and I went, the person I was from sort of March to June, that wasn't 
who I was. So there were still significant things going on in my mind and my body. I was also starting to understand some more trauma that had been hidden away. So as a teenager, I didn't have the grasp of what the trauma was. And then I wanted to just numb it. Not intentionally, but that's what medication did. It numbed everything. After a few months, things started to just become normal for me. I started feeling a little bit more emotion naturally. And that was kind of weird. But I was progressing still. Then in early December, and it's really funny because at the start of January, I sort of said to myself, I'd love to be off medication before I have kids. I want to go on a more natural part of journey. And I want to feel stuff again. And in the start of December, I went to my packet of antidepressants. And I went, there shouldn't be any left. But there was heaps left. And I was like, what's happened? And I'd only had one dose in about eight days. And I panicked at first. And a lot of people that go through anti- have antidepressants who miss a day, well, after three or four days, they might have a bit of, you know, a few symptoms might pop up. But I was okay. And I spoke to my fiance and I said, this is what's happened. I've gone off my meds accidentally. Only once in eight days, nine days. If I go back on them, I'm going to have a reaction over the next couple of weeks. How about I just try and get off them? completely and I don't think she wanted me to because she was scared of probably what was to come but at the same time she supported me I knew that what may or may not happen wasn't necessarily going to be me it was going to be this new me which I need to learn from and maneuver through this new part of our life I told my therapist that exactly the same thing I've got a nutrition coach. I told him. So I told the people around me. What happened was far worse than I thought was going to happen. Over the next few days, things stayed pretty similar. And it was around Christmas time where I'd set all these plans to not really eat off the plan too much. But I couldn't stop eating. I was literally eating every sort of 10 to 15 minutes of every day. When I went to the cricket, I was in public. I didn't. I chose not to drink on the 27th or 28th because I was going to friends' houses and I was going to the cricket. And I knew that Drinking wasn't going to be the right thing for me in that moment. What I was going through was hard enough. And I spoke to a friend on the 27th and I actually explained what was happening. And I'll explain it to you guys, to you now. What I was experiencing was some of the worst things I've experienced in my life internally. The nightmares I was having were as gruesome as I'd ever experienced before. They were real. They were vivid. I remembered every minute of it when I woke up. There was one night where I was 
the dream was so vivid. I was dreaming that I was vomiting off the side of my bed for hours. And then when I woke up, I put my hand down around near my, below my sternum region to pick my jaw up. I had this feeling that my jaw had disassociated itself from my body. I felt like it was below my sternum and wasn't connected anymore. I had to feel my face. I had to make sure that it was still all intact. That was only one example of the things I woke up experiencing. But for many, for a few days in that period, between the 21st and the 26th, there were days where I felt complete, completely disassociated from my body. I didn't feel like I was actually in control of any part of me. And it was so scary because a lot of my teenage years where I didn't feel in control is where I made mistakes and where people judged me or looked at me and when I can't be around this person who's acting so irrationally, you know, they're, they're hurting me, they're making me upset. So it really scared me. But I knew I had a couple of weeks off over this period and I did my research again and checked all the symptoms of what might happen. And when I checked them, I went, tick, 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 I've got them all. The eating was one which I knew was happening, but I didn't want to stop that. And I was very aware of what was happening. You know, I was putting on weight daily. I was eating a bucket load of food. I didn't eat as much on the 28th because I was in public with friends. So I didn't want them to ask questions. I didn't want, to, didn't want them to sort of ask, why are you eating six burgers today? But it's so easily at the cricket, I could have eaten that much. And it was a real struggle being there. I was surrounded by friends, but I felt so alone. It was also through this period where I started to actually feel things. Emotions. Through my teenage years, I was an extremely emotional and sensitive person. But I didn't have the, the skills to actually understand them or work through them. Through about a 10-day period, or 8-day period from the 21st to the 29th, I found myself crying every half an hour to what was ever on TV. It didn't necessarily need to be sad, but I found a way to cry. And it was through this period of time where I sat down with my fiance and said, just want to let you know that I'm experiencing a lot of things I haven't felt in 13 or 14 years. And I'm quite scared at times with what's happening. But I don't want to go back on the meds. I want to ride this out. There was a couple of days through this period of time where I was extremely dizzy and faint. I fainted and fell into a wall once, but there was many, many other times where I felt like I was going to faint and I sat myself down or laid myself down. One of the other things I experienced 
and it was really bizarre. But when speaking to someone close to me about it, they said it was one of the main symptoms they had changing medications was brain zaps. So it was really weird, but at times I would literally fling my head across and I would, you know, I'm shaking my head now like I, I would in the perfect way to describe as it would go from one side to the other and uh, one to go to one shoulder and then it'd fling across to the other side real quickly. And I have these brain zaps. And that's ex- that's scary in itself because you've got, you know, your brain and your heart, without one of them, you won't survive. And I'm having all these brain zaps. And along with that came this complete blurriness and fogginess to life. I couldn't learn, couldn't read, couldn't study. All of these things that a week ago I was able to do pretty well, I literally could not do. I I would read a sentence and it would be forgotten. So I'd find myself reading the same sentence five or six times and then just giving up. I was really careful not to get too frustrated at myself because I was well aware of what was happening. Some of the other things I started to experience was memories. A lot of the memories from my teenage years of the way I acted had been masked by this medication. They were popping up randomly. You know, girls I used to date pop up. And it was my mind basically playing tricks on me. Trying to survive. Because it was panicking. It had anxiety. What we were experiencing was something it wasn't aware of. Why am I telling everyone this? Because I was speaking to my coach last week and I just said, anyone that goes off medication needs to be as stable as they ever have been. Because what they're going to experience is probably nothing like they've ever experienced before. It's different. It's not just suicidal thoughts and depression. It's a whole lot of other shit. And it's a great learning experience for myself. And I want to pass that on to others. And I just want people to open up their minds. Yes, I think medication and antidepressants has its place. It's nothing to be ashamed of. But I think moving forward, the stigma isn't there as much as what it used to be. We just need to change the perception. We all have mental health. We all can find ourselves in mentally unwell positions. We can be mentally unhealthy, which can lead to mental health issues, which can stem into mental illness. No one is immune from that. But what helps is our ability to understand our own emotions Manage life, manage ourselves. And understand that the external world is not where we become happy. 
We need to be internally happy. We need to be eternal, internally self-sufficient. And then we can embrace the things around us. So my advice, and it's not one you have to follow, is that when you walk into a doctor's office for help, you don't have to go on medication. You can, but you don't have to. If you do, make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people for an extended period of time. And you make lifestyle choices that match it. Make it as easy as possible. My advice though, is find a therapist or a counsellor which is gonna heal trauma. Be honest, is relatable, doesn't beat around the bush, and has a balance of healing past traumas, helping healing, teaching skills, passing on knowledge, and has an eye on the future. Alcohol, drugs, shopping addiction, sex addiction, cheating, commitment issues, work, unhealthy work balance, life balance. All of these signs are signs of people that don't know how to regulate their own emotions. They're scared, they're fearful of something. And the perfect example is the the person that works 70 to 80 hours a week, what are they avoiding? They're avoiding something whether they know it or not. And is it okay? Yeah, it's okay. But I've met a lot of people in my time speaking at events who get reach the age of 50 and no longer have a wife. And the kids don't want to speak to them anymore because what their wife and kids want was time. They didn't want money. They didn't want toys. They may have at the time appreciated them but to all humans, what we really appreciate is connection and time. So all of these things are coping mechanisms. But if we address the coping mechanism, the person will just find another one. Now I know someone who had a severe weight loss problem and not a client, not a friend, just someone I know, an acquaintance. And for years they battled it and they went and got the gastric sleeve. The person before that wasn't a drinker, they became an alcoholic. So they replaced food with alcohol. They put a band-aid on the problem and that's what so many of us do. I've done it. You go from drinking weekly and then you go, I'm gonna have 12 weeks off drinking. But then every Saturday night you binge food or you gamble. You stop all three and then you start working. When you don't have the ability to sit by yourself with your own thoughts, 
and just the world going around you. It means you're avoiding something. It's not a bad thing. But once we become aware of it, we can change it. And there's nothing more I love than sitting by myself and just watching the world go by sometimes. I used to be so scared of my thoughts. I remember my thoughts used to drift and drift and drift. And then I beat myself up for having those thoughts. The medication ending was the start of a new chapter. But it was hard turning that page. So many chapters to get to this point, some short, some long. Sometimes the pages were sticky and I got stuck. But this one was just a really heavy page where it was really hard to turn over. Because for 10 days, my body was doing things and my mind was experiencing things I hadn't felt in 12 to 15 years. I'd been numbed. And I could only imagine this is what alcoholics and drug addicts go through. They've numbed everything. And then after 10 to 14 days, it all comes quickly. And my advice around going off medication is to make sure you put yourself in the best possible position to get off it, to start with, be mentally stable. But make sure that you're not in a really stressful place in your life or you're not expected to do things. So I went off my medication knowing it was Christmas, New Year period. I was going to have a couple of weeks off work. So there was no expectations around work. I told my family what was happening. So there was no expectations to go to Christmas. There was no expectations on me whatsoever for a two week period. And I'm so thankful I have a, I had a fiance who understood and not out of just understanding, chose to investigate and listen with the intent to understand. And I spoke to my coach last week and I said, I don't think people with kids could get off antidepressants like I did. They would need to lose the expectation of the kids for a couple of weeks or not be at work for a couple of weeks. Because when you have all these expectations, it, it triggers you. And if you've got all this other shit you're working on, it makes it extremely difficult. So my, my advice is make sure for a couple of week period that you l make the expectations on your life as small as possible. Obviously, we have some expectations around the house and to do those things, and that's okay but we want to limit them and understand it's going to be a slow process, but also make sure that we're speaking to the right people. So I spoke to my mentor and my therapist at least twice or three times a week about it. 
once was in session. The other two were just at work because, and I'm very, very fortunate that I'm in that position. And that's why it's, I'm more advisable and strongly advising that people really make sure they're mentally well positioned because I was fortunate enough to actually go to a job where I could speak to my therapist or someone with that knowledge and understanding of what was happening. Now, it wasn't smooth sailing right through that period. I chose to drink on New Year's Eve. I felt trapped and I went back to my fight or flight mode. And that's just a massive learning experience for me. And I said on that in that moment, I need to have a couple of months off drinking because the withdrawal symptoms from antidepressants, which I've been on for 12 years, weren't going to just take a couple of weeks. They're going to take a couple of months. And there's going to be moments where something might pop up again. And I need to make sure that I'm in the best position possible to deal with that. And it leaves me with one last final point. And I'll go back to an instance on a cricket field I had just before I went into the mental health clinic last in 2019. Something was said on field as I went out. And I reacted. Now my reaction says nothing about the opposition. Their comments say what, what they think or the way they feel. Their comments say something about them. My reaction says something about me. And in that moment, I knew that I needed help. I look back on that incident and I have no grudges against the opposition. They didn't say anything wrong. I reacted poorly. Things happen and our emotions, our emotions are triggered before our thinking part of the brain. So we get confused. That's why anger, why people, you see people snap. Because the emotion comes first and that's why they regret it later. They realise what they've done. So anyone that says someone plays a mental health card is in fact just has no understanding about what mental health is or how the brain works. Because people will act on emotions so often when they don't understand what they're doing. When they get caught, bang, the other part of the brain starts to function properly. Oh shit, what we did was wrong. What we did made other people feel like shit. But in those moments we act so emotionally. And I think that's what we need to do as a society is look at people and understand that these reactions don't just come from something else. They come from the inability to actually manage someone's, their one's own emotions, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. And all of this can be put down to one thing. We need to learn this younger. And I will give a shout out to Mindful Oz who would do a lot of work in this space. And I am raising $10,000 for Mindful Oz. And if anyone can help with that, I will share that in the show notes. Because I want to keep telling stories like this, stories that will help people understand mental health. Because after each podcast, I have people reach out and say, thank you for sharing that. My friends or family don't understand, but it's good to know other people that they do. And it's not to say the friends or family are bad people. They're not. They're great people. They're humans. 
But we are all ignorant. We're all incompetent. And we are all mediocre to a degree. And that's okay. None of us are the best at everything. None of us know everything. None of us can do everything. Someone's skill set in something. Mine's mental health. Means that I'm probably going to know more than a lot of other people about that. And I can't look down on them at that. But they can't look down on me either. They can and I can. But it's not going to help. It's comparison. It's an helpful thinking style. So I want to finish by saying thank you to listening to this. And please understand that I probably went a little bit monotone through a lot of this and I know that can, you know, but I wanted to try and detach myself from the story because I wanted to give an outsider's perspective despite being the insider in this story because the period of time after weaning off my medication for about four weeks was probably nearly the four toughest weeks of my life. And I wasn't open to the full degree to my friends or family because I knew they wouldn't understand. But then I reacted poorly a couple of times and I started getting judged. And my last point to that is Don't judge without understanding or at least trying to understand. Ask questions. Why did you do that? Is everything okay? Can I help you with something? Not I'm worried about you and putting the concerns of yours onto others. Find out what's going on first. And I know, for example, I wouldn't be saying it's an excuse to act the way I did. I'd be saying I need to learn. I need to learn from this. I need to be better. I'm going to be better. But I haven't hurt anyone. And a lot of these times, people don't hurt anyone. So listen. And I promise you, if you're the person suffering with what I may have gone through, ask for help. You'll find someone that wants to listen. And if you haven't experienced this, sit there and listen. The person isn't making excuses. They just want to be open. They want you to understand. Thanks again for tuning in. The next episode will be either Alicia and I talking about our IVF process, the mental health complications with that, or a chat with Nicholas Sutherland from MindFit. So we've got a few podcasts coming up, and I just want to thank all of you for your support. Um, If you want to help in any way keep these podcasts going, then please jump on the website and purchase some merch because all of that goes back into... Um, producing these and getting guests and keeping them running and any extra profit goes back into the community some way shape or other thank you and speak up and speak out